Um, okay, let's pray um, for our time in God's Word together. Heavenly Father, um, I do want to lift Tyler up to you as one of the young adults from this church, and, and I thank you, Lord, for the week, uh, the fantastic week he said that he had in Arizona. Uh, very, very, very tiring, he said, but very, very, very rewarding. And so, uh, Lord, it sounds like you did a spiritual work through that team from Cedarville. And so we thank you for that. Lord, they're, they're back there now from that reservation in Arizona. So we want to lift up the people who are still there, the Christians who are still on that reservation, the missionaries that they worked with who served there year-round. We pray, Lord, it's, it's sometimes a difficult thing when, a, when an outside team comes in for a week and, and just does this uh, great week and are, are, and are energized, and then, boom, they're gone seven days later. And so, Lord, we just lift up that reservation, wherever it was, whatever the name of it was, um, to you, and pray, Lord, that you would continue your work on that reservation. I do pray for Tyler, Lord, not just for the rest he needs coming back with the rest of the team, um, but for this possibility of him having MRSA. And I just pray, Lord, that tomorrow when he goes to the uh, university medical services, Lord, that they will discover that it is not that. That would be my first prayer, Lord. Um, but that if it is as well, that you would treat it, um, that you would treat it, Lord, that you would bring a healing to him that um, even medicine can't touch. But Lord, Tyler is just one of the young adults, college-age students that we have here at Calvary Chapel, and some of them are away, and some of them are here and, and whatnot, so we lift up our young adults to you, Lord. You know, a lot of times we talk about high school and, and junior high school being so much more difficult than it was for us as we grew up no matter when that was. Um, but, Lord, when they're out of high school and there's not that daily routine necessarily, and they are adults, and there's not the same relationship with their parents that they had growing up, Lord, we lift our, our young adults up to you as well. The world doesn't get easier after high school. It has, it, it, it's not necessarily harder. It might just be new and different challenges. But, um, but Lord, we pray for every young adult represented in this body, we pray for the young adults who are a regular part of this, the young adults who may be visiting today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give them the strength in a dark world to, to look to you to light their way. And Lord, that's one of the reasons why we open your word. Psalm 119 in one of the verses says that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, please, light our way through it even today. In Jesus' name, amen. First and Second Chronicles in the Jewish Bible are one book, not two. They're books of history, but they were written for a specific purpose. They were written by a man named Ezra. He was a scribe. The book right after Second Chronicles in our Bibles is Ezra, named after that same guy, transcribed by that same man. His goal in setting out First and Second Chronicles, again in the Jewish Bible, just Chronicles, it's just one book called Chronicles, is so that the Jewish people who were returning from the Babylonian captivity would have at least some sense of their history. See, they had been out of there, most of them had been out of their homeland, away from their homes and everything that they knew and were comfortable with for 70 years. And over a period of 70 years, sometimes uh, a, a nation and a people loses sight of their God-given history. I think it's true not only for Israel, which is our uh, context, but also here in the United States. A number of us in this room can't remember 70 years ago for good reason, because we weren't alive yet. Now, some of us can't remember 70 years ago because we're just older and forgetful, but that's okay. But it's tough to remember 70 years ago. It's tough to remember the history of our nation 70 years ago. It's tough to remember the blessings that God bestowed on us 70 years ago. Tough, but important to remember. It's one of the problems sometimes in public schools when they seem to sometimes actually be like almost rewriting our country's history, leaving out chunks of it and, and things of that nature. That's not what I really want to talk to, to us about today, of course. But, but for Israel, they're coming back after 70 years away. They need to be reminded who did what? Where did they do it? What, what, what's, our, what's our history? Who were our kings? What did they do? What were the highlights or sometimes the lowlights of their lives? What are the things that we can glean from their lives and remember and apply to our own? 
And that's what Ezra lays out for us in First and Second Chronicles. There's not as much individual and specific details as there is in First and Second Samuel or in First and Second Kings. So while First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings spend chapters and chapters and chapters on David and Solomon and right on down the line, First and Second Chronicles doesn't do that. It just kind of gives us a, a synopsis and an overview, and then it moves on to the next one. So before we can jump here into Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, we need to move away from David, who we've been talking about for the last two weeks. To do that, we just take a look back one page. Maybe you don't even have to flip a page to First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 26. And here's how, under the inspiration of the Spirit, here's how Ezra wraps up First Chronicles. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of their lands. So Ezra wraps up David's life for us, and I want just to draw your attention just to -to back-to-back phrases here in verse 28 where we are told two things specifically about David that I want to touch on briefly. One is that he died in a good old age, and the other that he died full of days. Not everyone is guaranteed to die at a good old age, right? Last night in, uh, ooh, it was in Boston, I don't remember what part of Boston, a seven-year-old boy was killed by two pit bulls. He didn't die in a good old age. This past Friday was the third, uh, would have been my mother's 70th birthday. It'll, this Christmas will be three years since she passed away. 70 is, is young, right? Or 67 is young when she passed away. She, to me, she didn't live uh, to a, a good, ripe age. And so that's something that is not guaranteed us by the Lord. David may have lived until a good old age, but the same can't be said for all of his sons or all of his grandsons or all of the kings who followed him. In fact, some of them died at a good young age, at a very young age. And that's true in our world today as well. But that second part there, when it talks about full of days, doesn't really have anything to do with his age. It has to do with what he experienced in life. See, you can have somebody whose life is shorter. And remember, we talked last week and even looked at a couple of passages of Scripture where it talks about, you know, hey, Lord, uh, what was it? It was Psalm 39. Lord, remind me of how short my days are. Remind me, Lord, that sometimes life is like a vapor. And James picks up on that, and we mentioned that last week too in the New Testament. But, but no matter how long our lives are, we may not get to that place where we can say, oh, he, he died or she died at, or passed away at a good old age. But one thing that we can say when we pursue Christ in our lives is that we will live days that are full. They may be shorter, but they can be full. Everybody kind of follow that? So it's not a chronology thing. It's not a number of years thing. It's a full day kind of thing. And that, even if we were to read that David died at a younger age, I believe that we still would read that his days were full. Because David had a heart for the Lord. David is the one that God looked at and said, he's a man after my own heart. It doesn't mean that David was perfect. We all know about David and Bathsheba. David's family life was a mess. And yet with everything David went through, he never once worshipped an idol. With everything that David went through, the bad stuff, the difficult stuff, the running for his life from his own son's stuff, he never chased after another god. And that's why when he dies, it's not just that he was old. Man, he died a full man. Now you and I 
are not to achieve to be at the level of David. Of course, Christ is our example in all things. But at the same time, you and I have the opportunity to live like David lived. Because in our lives, not everything is good all the time, right? There's difficulties, and there's problems, and there's stuff to work through. Hopefully you don't have to run for your life from your own kids, but sometimes you may want to, you know, just to get away for a little while. But when we continue to pursue God through all of that, no matter when we breathe our last breath, may it be said of us, you know, they lived this long, but in addition to that, they lived full days or full of days because of their love for the Lord. Now the question always then becomes this. As we now move into 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, and we move on to, David's, to, to one of David's sons, will this carry over? Right? right? Will, will, will David's godliness carry over to Solomon? Now, here's what we don't mean by that. We don't mean that somehow David's godliness covers Solomon's potential ungodliness. David knew God for himself. David even tells Solomon, there's two times near the end of David's life when he pulls Solomon aside to talk to him. One of those times, we'll look briefly at it in a few minutes, is very private. The other one he does before all of Israel, it's very public. But in that private time, when David talks to his son Solomon, one of the things that he says to Solomon is simply this, Solomon, you need to know God. That's how he begins. You need to know God. Now, here's Solomon growing up in David's home, and David was a worshiper of God. Solomon knew what what worship looked like. Solomon had heard about God. Solomon had watched his mom and his dad go to church, so to speak. He probably was raised in the church, so to speak. Probably went to Sunday school or Awana or Royal Rangers or whatever it may be. But to David, he... He needed to get that point across to Solomon. Solomon, it is not enough to know who God is. It is not enough to know that God exists. It is not enough to know about God. It is not enough to have heard of God. Solomon, my son, you need to know God. Because David's godliness did not, could not transfer in an eternal sense to Solomon. Just like my parents can't to me, Mine and Elisa's can't to our children. Each individual, each person, each generation needs to know God for themselves. We all know that. None of that is new, probably, but it's a solid reminder because here's Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1 of Second Chronicles. We're told that now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him, and exalted him exceedingly. Now, that's a great start. Look at some of the phrases in that verse. Number one, he's strengthened in his kingdom. Number two, the Lord his God was with him. And number three, God exalted him exceedingly. You couldn't ask for a better start than that for Solomon. It isn't just that his dad handed him all the plans to the temple and who was going to be working there after it was built and all of those things we talked about last week. The Lord is with him. The Lord's plans are with him. Not just David's plans. It's not just, it's not Solomon exalting himself, it's the Lord exalting him. It's not Solomon strengthening his own kingdom, it's the Lord strengthening him. Turn with me back, if you would, just for a second to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Just a few pages, right? 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Nope. Not that chapter. Chapter 28. Sorry. I got them mixed up in my own head. <laughs> chapter 28, verse 9. This is a public one. We'll look at the private one maybe in a few minutes. This is a public one. Right in front of everybody. Near the end of David's life, he gathers all of Israel together. He has something to say to Israel. He has something to say to his son. In verse 9, here's what he says to his son. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. He says, Solomon, I want you to serve God with two things, a loyal heart and a willing mind. 
That order wasn't an accident when David put it in that order. The reason he didn't say, Solomon, your mind needs to be willing and then your heart needs to be loyal is because our relationship with God is a heart issue. It's not a mind issue or it's not a head issue. We need to, to have a loyal heart, and then the mind will come. Now, now, at some point for Solomon, though he started well, it isn't about how we start, it's about how we finish. The Bible says in the Gospels that one day when we do cross the, the finish line and we're in the presence of Jesus, the words we all want to hear are, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Here's what I don't want to hear. Well, you started well. Well begun, my good and faithful servant. It, it, that this is, I never ran cross-country in high school. I know that probably comes as a shock, right, that I did nothing athletic in high school. Um, and, uh, but my son Trevor does. He runs cross-country, and he's having a great season. He set his personal best two times in the last week and a half to two weeks or so on his home course. That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. I get tired watching him run. You understand what I mean? He comes across. He's like, I need water. I'm like, oh, me too, man. Me too. It's goodness gracious. But at every meet, you can, Trevor's a junior. At every meet, you can tell who the freshmen are. Or you can tell who the first-year runners are, even if they're not freshmen. Because when the starting gun goes off, you know what they do, right? They take off. And this cross-country course is there anywhere from 2.7 to 3.25 miles, depending on what school is hosting. And those kids take off like a shot. And I'm sure if their moms and dads are there watching them, they're like, yeah, yeah, look at there. And first, they're out to a big lead and all these things. I guarantee you right now, if they are first-year runners, freshmen or otherwise, they're not finishing the way that they started. They take off like a shot. They're all excited, adrenaline or whatever it is. But by the time that, you know, last time around, by the time they're on the last leg of the, of the cross-country course, man, they are sucking wind, you know? And they are just really lagging. What happened? Well, they started so great. They started so well. Their, 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 their mind was into it, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this, and we're going to... But, but it, they didn't finish well. When it comes to the Christian walk, Paul at one point, at at least one place in the New Testament, refers to our Christian walk as a race. Not a sprint. Sometimes it feels like a marathon, right? We've got our own heartbreak hill like they do at the Boston Marathon sometimes. But it certainly is some kind of a long-distance race that all of us are on. And some of us, and you know people who are this way, and, and you're here today, so you probably aren't one of these people, but in case you are, please recognize yourself in this. There are people today who put their faith and trust in Christ, and the starting pistol goes off, and they take off. And they're ahead of everyone else. And they probably feel so free, and they think, I'm in the lead, and isn't this great, and this is like the wind is blowing through my head. That's not what I mean exactly, but, you know, and they're just excited, right? And off they go, but, but then they get to a slope. Or then somebody gets hot on their heels, and you got a guy behind you. Or something happens, and, and I don't know, they, they're having to run in the rain, or there's some kind of storm, or whatever it is. Hopefully you're using your imagination here yourselves. And, and, and what happens then is these ones who seem to do so well at the start and took off, where are they at the end? I mean, some of them aren't even there. And some of them, really, it's almost is like Jesus said, well, you, you got off to a good start, buddy. But that's not our goal. Our goal is not to start strong. Our goal should be to finish well. Solomon didn't finish well.
offering for sin is actually called the sin offering. Sometimes God makes it so simple. I don't know how we miss it. The burnt offering is an offering of dedication. This is Solomon saying a thousand times over, Lord, I'm this new king of this nation. I'm dedicating my kingdom to you. Or I'm dedicating myself to you. That's what I think is really going on. I'm dedicating myself to you. God, there's this thing I'm about to take on, and, and, um, and I'm going to need your help. And so I am dedicating myself to you. Sometimes in Christian circles we talk about being dedicated to the Lord, or even people who rededicate their lives to the Lord. That's kind of, sort of this, but not really. This more falls into those times when you and I face difficult things in life. Sometimes tomorrow morning, because it's Monday morning, because we know what Monday holds already for some of us, or what the week may hold, tomorrow morning may be difficult. May I suggest that tomorrow morning before you leave the house, you dedicate your Monday to the Lord. May I suggest that before that difficult meeting that you have later this week, or before that court appointment, or before whatever it is, that you dedicate that thing to the Lord. That's what Solomon is doing. And there's nothing wrong with doing that on a regular basis. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, Lord? Um, right now, my wife and I, we're kind of, we're kind of at each other a little so, so I want to dedicate my marriage to you. Well, haven't you done that before? Well, yeah, I have. But I'm doing it again. That's really the idea of the burnt offering. Here's what we know for sure because of the next verse. Solomon's thousand burnt offerings makes God respond. Not makes him respond, but, but God responds to it. Verse 7 says, On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? Oh, man. Now listen, one thing I've got to tell you about Solomon, and that's this. When Solomon becomes the king of Israel, he's 18. He's 18 years old. God has just showed up in an 18-year-old's life and said, Solomon, ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now, we all know that in some way, shape, or form, Solomon is going to ask for wisdom. May I suggest to you that that is not the first thought that necessarily crosses his mind. Because he's 18. And you, most of you, Remember me? How many of you remember me? Okay, right. Okay. I, yeah, something like kind of, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if God were to show up in your life when you and I were 18 years old and say, "Hey, Joe, Jen, you're 18. Ask whatever you want. I will give to you." How many of us have thought so about God and say, "Well, Lord, I could really." 
Do not accumulate chariots and horses. 